Hey everybody, it's John. I wanted to remind you that we do have a Patreon page at patreon.com forward slash alien minute. Over there on Patreon, Mitch and I discuss subjects concerning movies and television and just about anything else we want to talk about. So uh, if you want to come over there, you can subscribe for $2 a month for one episode or $5 a month for every episode at patreon.com forward slash alien minute. Thank you. Hello, everybody. Welcome to a special two-part examination of minutes 14 through 21. The first one features Joe Maisel and Pete the Retailer. And the second one features the author of Bond Girls, Body, Fashion, and Gender, Monica Germana. Hello and welcome back to 007x7, the podcast where we are investigating the James Bond films seven minutes at a time. I'm John Ingle. And I'm Mitch Bryan, and today we're looking at minutes 14 to 21, which begin with Tanya leaving the Russian consulate and end with Bond telling M that he really is not too busy at the moment. In between, Tanya is followed by Red Grant to a meeting with Rosa Klebb. Bond gets called away from a date with Sylvia Trench again and meets with M, who explains that a Russian girl wants to defect with a lector decoding device because she has fallen in love with Bond from afar. Mm. And today we have two guests, my friends and co-hosts on other podcasts, uh, Comrade Joe Maisel and Comrade <laughs> Pete the Retailer. Hey, I'm using everybody. The comrade today as it's apropos to the episode. It's for the, for the good of the state or the podcast. <laughs> it's, it's good for, for the good of the podcast. Thank you for being here. <clears throat> You have unquestionable loyalty. <laughs> to the That's right. If I had a stick, I would slap it against the mm. microphone as I said that. So you're trying to say if we leave, we'll be shot? Mm. Yes. Mm. Okay. And I I'd accentuate that mm. again with a little whip. Of the that was stick. in the email, Joe. I don't know if oh, you've got to read yes. those more carefully. I just knew that I would never leave this computer alive, but uh, I didn't realize it would right, be shot. Yeah. I just assumed it would be of old age. <laughs> Does anybody have any first experiences with from russia with love uh, have you seen it lots of times or jump in with that <laughs> oh thank you uh yeah i mean i've seen every james bond film like a million times but yeah from russia with love sort of a weird one because it was one of those i'm you know when i started reading about bond when i was like i guess around seventh grade it was the like this is the really good one and i was always like ah, it could use more judo <laughs> you know, like right. it's a, I mean you know From Russia with Love is great but it's kind of interesting that 90% of the action is in the back third of the movie uh, yeah. and not that it's a good or bad thing it's just a sort of as a kid it's definitely a bad thing <laughs> depends on what you define as action yes <laughs> oh yeah there you go <laughs> um, which I will I will maintain that's the appeal of this mm. one but that's, <laughs> that may just be me yeah, I, I was also surprised kind of later on to find out that this was as highly regarded as it is. I liked it fine, but I don't remember, like, it wasn't, didn't grab me the way that some of the other ones did, you know, when I was younger. And and I, I mean, my main, um, you know, <clears throat> when I think of the movie, the first thing that I think of is, like, is the, the VHS cover with him <laughs> with the little, you know, skipper hat and the flare gun. Right. And uh, and that's, I'm like, oh, yeah, that's the one with the skipper hat and the flare gun. I was like, well, wait a minute, like... When does that happen in the movie? I'm like, that's like right near the end. And it's, it's like they make it, they make it seem like such, like it's such an important part of the film. It's like this is going to be a, a sea adventure. It's like no, 
it's going to be people talking about stuff. It is there's cool stuff. There's going to be a you know a train part and stuff like that. But then there's you know at the end there's some there's some sea escapes. <clears throat> I love how the film is sort of regarded as like the most realistic of them. When you think about it, it's like. No, this is just as ridiculous as anything else. I mean, yes, it's less ridiculous than irradiating Fort Knox, but it's still a super <laughs> secret decoding device, and like, you know, you know, a, a, a lesbian, a, you know, lesbian like scout leader with her like Aryan assassin, and mm, like yeah, limpet and like underground, like you know, and underground rivers and stuff like that. It's a kind of a nonsense movie. It's a great nonsense movie. It's the more adult nonsense movie, but it's still kind of a nonsense movie. No, it always feels to me like they they made two movies that one one super low budget they kind of did it by the seat of their pants. Then they were able to spend some money on this one, and they leaned into the realism, the more a little bit more of a dry story approach or dry filmmaking approach. And then in between this and the next movie, they had to decide, okay, you know what? There is a bunch of silly <laughs> shit, and then there's this kind of serious filmmaking we're doing. Which one do we want to? Maybe we should lean on one and then lean <laughs> right. on the silly shit, which I, to, to me, that's when it starts getting really good. That's when Bond starts getting <laughs> sure. really good is the closer once, you know, to me, the apex is the, is, is the volcano base, you know, like to me, that's <laughs> what I love about James Bond. So until we get to, you only live twice. I'm like, now you found it. Now you're in the sweet spot for me. <laughs> so from Rush With Love, I like, I think it's a great movie, but, uh, but to me, they're still searching for what I like in Bond at least. It's yeah. the most kind of north by northwest of the movies. It's more like a, it feels more like a Cary Grant vehicle because like this is one, this is one of the bonds that what they really lean into is uh, the exotics the exoticism. That's not a word, but I just said it anyway. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it's really is that it's, when they were moving exoticness from something exactly. But it's the yeah. one where like you know, look how pretty and mysterious Istanbul is. Yeah, well, I, something that I love about the, uh, you know, the the beginning of these minutes is that we don't get English for a while. Yeah. Like we have, we, have, we have, let's speak in Russian a little bit, let's speak in French a little bit, uh, and let's let's, let's uh, you know, dance around, and, and it makes it you know that that worldliness, um, whether it be you know that there's the idea that you know James Bond movies are essentially you know travelogues with with gun sh- gun uh, battles, um, and and. You know that worldliness is an important part of it, and that's you know part of what makes it great. And so I like that on a small scale, getting that like, oh, good, I feel like I'm in a James Bond movie because like that lady was just talking Russian, and then she was asking this guy something, and uh, and and like it tells you a little bit about her, like oh, she's a you know she's a more accomplished uh, uh, spy perhaps mm-hmm. than uh, you know than we might have been expecting, and also it's like a, it's a good setting for the um you know the the other the worldliness of the movie. Right. Yeah, it's funny you say French because she says merci yeah. at the end of that, but he's speaking Turkish, yeah. so she's really working it on three different languages in these yeah. in these minutes. And you find it's out French. she works yeah. in the English division uh, for the KGB when Rosa Klebb is interrogating her. Well, <laughs> she's she, a sharp girl. She speaks English very well, mm-hmm. so yeah, it's good. <laughs> yeah, I mean, is French is French something that is spoken commonly in in Turkey or sorry, in, yeah, in, in Turkey? Well, but at this point, French was the international language. It was definitely yeah. the of love. diplomacy and the language of oh, love. Absolutely. Right? So, so it probably makes sense that it's a continental touch. And for all I know, in Turkey, they say merci. I don't know what thank you in Turkish is, and I don't know if I don't know what other languages are most prominent in 
you know, but I would assume since it's official and government, and he's a government guy she's asking questions mm -hmm. from, that French also finds its way in there somewhere. Yeah. Well, it could be another, maybe it's like a, um, like an element of her cover too. Maybe she was like, oh, I, I'm, I'm a French tourist. You know, it's like the, the thing that they used to say, like, oh, if you go to, you know, Europe, uh, just tell everybody you're Canadian and mm -hmm. they'll hate you less. And so like the same, <laughs> same kind of thing where it's like, maybe like, oh, if I pretend to be a French tourist, then that'll draw, nobody will suspect that I'm really a, a Russian agent. Hmm. You know, Pete, you said something about the travelogue aspect and both of these first two shots in these minutes are beautiful kind of travelogue shots one with the front of the consulate but back there in the background is the is the Hagia Sophia and then when she comes up that kind of embankment mm -hmm. before she asks for directions there's this amazing vista behind her and so we get to look at that and we also get to look at her like in a full shot we see we really see her and she comes toward camera and we're kind of looking up at her and very glamorous it's a trailer shot <laughs> like you could see them just cutting in that that little clip of her walking up because you get all of that in that one moment, you could see that just being in the shot and it doesn't say anything about what's happening. Like, could she, she's searching for something or she could just be a girl, you know? But, uh, <laughs> yeah, that, you know, the, yeah, you're the, talking about the, what did, what did Joe call exoticism? Yes. <laughs> uh, of this, you know, so we open with, uh, these women coming out of the Russian consulate. So we, we know it's the Russian consulate from the sign mm -hmm. that's on mm -hmm. the gate. But I think that, you know, it's it's early 60s movie audiences. They also want to make sure, you know, okay, they're speaking foreign language. And just in case you weren't 100% sure, make sure they all say Dostvidania about three or four times. <laughs> right, yeah. So that even the dumbest viewer knows that they're Russian. <laughs> we just have to make sure you know they're Russian. They were also uh, drinking vodka and doing that dance. The, uh, <laughs> yeah, they were. And while riding bears. Yeah. Right. One exactly. of them was a bear. Yes. <laughs> but... And, and it seems to me, it seems to me they're like, they're going to go to happy hour and her friends are like, Hey, you want to join us for happy hour? She's like, no, I got other things to do. Right. That's kind of the impression I get. So we're getting sort of like, this is run of the mill office women leaving work for the day. Mm -hmm. So it seems very banal. It's kind of benign at first. And then we get the shot of her walking up the steps. We get a little moment where she looks down at a piece of paper. So of course we're going to be thinking, okay, something's about this piece. There's something about this piece of paper. Then she walks up and then she asks the directions. And then as soon as she gets the directions from the guy, she turns and then the music dips into this minor key. And suddenly she's enveloped in this corridor, this darkened corridor. And we know we're back in the Bond movie again. <laughs> I gotta like that move. The move from who are these women? They seem just like normal women. Oh, she's clearly a spy now. Like we now we know she's about spy business for sure. <laughs> exactly. And that location is great because um, I looked it up and it's a um, it's a, a caravansary something like that. And it's where the caravans would. St it's the Motel Six for caravans. <laughs> Hundreds of years like an RV ago, park. They said it's seven. It's seven hundred years old. And so yeah, basically you come in with your camels. And they stay in the courtyard, and then there's all these little rooms around there where you can stay if you have enough money to get a room, or otherwise you'd probably pitch your tent out there in the in that courtyard. 
Mm-hmm. And so that's the location. And it is and and the walk to it through that dark tunnel is connected because you can see it. You know, sometimes they'll switch from one location to mm-hmm. the next. Um, but but that they're all in one place, which is pretty cool. Yeah, that is pretty neat. So it that's is. where Rosa Klebb has got her office, her secret fake office. Yeah, her like, secret office. She's working in for the open air courtyard. She's she working for well, she's working for Schmer, for Spectre. So, you know, yeah, it, yeah mm-hmm. it's like a she's a spy. It's secret. <clears throat> Interesting. And it having sense. it, you know, in a in an area where there's a lot of uh, turnover and a lot of you know people from all over the world would make it uh, easier to easier for but it it's to be not hidden. in use. It's it's not in use anymore. Oh. It's a it's an out of use. Oh, I see. Spot. I see. It's been turned into offices and suites. An yeah, abandoned caravan. Yeah. So she rented that office, pretending to be Smirsh, I guess. <laughs> she rented <laughs> it for the with the Russian state, I guess. She's okay. she's wearing the Russian. So she said earlier she would continue wearing the Russian uniform. Correct. Yeah, right. So she's wearing that. She's got all her uh, adornments there to to. You know, and, and, and apparently Tanya here knows who she is, which I think is kind of interesting. So she's working. So Tanya works as a interpreter somewhat, right? I mean, am I, am I misinterpreting that? No. Mm-hmm. She's a cipher clerk. She's a cipher clerk, but the, the, they talk about they're at a conference. And I don't know why. I, I'm wondering how she knew who Rosa Klebb was. Was there gossip? Do people go, hey, that's Rosa Klebb to her? I'm just, she says she recognized her. And knew her name from this one time seeing her. So I kind of wonder, is Rosa Club famous in some way? Yeah, I think she is famous. Yeah. I think she's she's famous enough in the Russian high command that when she defects to Spectre, mm-hmm. it's such an embarrassment to the Russians that they mm-hmm. want to keep it quiet. Mm-hmm. Right. But, but before we go in that door to her office, I just wanted to add the, um, the shot of Red Grant. Mm-hmm. As, she, as Tanya walks toward the cat, the cat passes her, she gets towards the door, and then Red Grant appears in frame left. And I don't know about you guys, but when this thing was on TV, you never saw him. <laughs> yeah, I'm not even sure I saw him on VHS uh, when I was pan and scan because he's so far to the left of the frame. We've talked about it. I think we've talked about already how Red Grant's appearances throughout the middle part of the film are or even this early and on through the middle part of the film are additions from the book where in the book you got him at the beginning and you get him kind of at the end, but you don't get him throughout. And it was like a, it was a, a nice innovation to bring him in and keep the tension to, building, as you know that they're being followed to remind you he's um, in the plot. Like, so, right, yeah. right. Yeah. So then I yeah. wonder how the narrative plays. We'll have to track where he appears first in on the VHS copy, so to speak. <laughs> if you didn't see him well, here, he appears first in the opening of the film because it's Red Grant. No, I mean, <laughs> well, yeah, I mean right. within the, I mean within the context oh, okay. of what I'm talking about. So that so that this narrative choice is is first uh, put in the audience's mind when they're watching the ABC Sunday Night Movie. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah, right, I'm, yeah. I'm pretty sure he he we see him following or doing something with the car. We know for sure you see him when he gets to this to the Hagia Sophia, right? And he kills the guy there. I'm just is, so, isn't he though? But, but we'll notice his next appearance. This is totally off of the top of my head, but isn't he kind of lower right frame in the car though? I, I'm I trying know. to. We'll uh, that's to what I'm wondering. Is like, did he keep getting <laughs> well, cropped out? <laughs> oh my god! We're gonna have to get that Captain's Hat VHS edition and do a comparison. <laughs> right. Yes, definitely. Who's, who's got the Captain's Hat edition? Let's get that. Well, that would be an there. interesting uh, um, project. I wonder, maybe that would be like a, a YouTube channel or something like that. But just, just have a, uh, a you know the things that got cut out 
of the panic scan in the panic scan version so you're not even showing the 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 main focus of the films so you're just showing like like just these little bits off on the side mm-hmm. <laughs> just just the missing pieces just the yeah. missing pieces not the just main the missing pieces yeah is it like the just the marshmallow cereal or something like that <laughs> right. um yeah it's a, you know i always the, the pan and scan is such a phenomenon you know like such an interesting phenomenon of our past and where i find myself missing the the quote-unquote camera move that mm-hmm. happens when they're pan and scanning sometimes so i was like i always thought it was kind of cool how they panned over to that person there and then when you watch the widescreen version there's no camera move at all it's just it's just uh, the way it was shot yeah yeah i remember the shot in body heat where the two of them are, are estranged and so kazdan places each at the far end edge of each frame and on the VHS you couldn't see either one of them it was just this hallway with two voices wait they didn't they didn't select one character at least to focus on. not for the master it's well, so, they didn't it was so funny <laughs> that's hilarious it was like you know focus and forget when they would when they transferred I that guess. thing nobody right. was paying wow. any attention oh. now backtracking to Rosa Club a bit or fast forward in Rosa Club depending on how you want to look at it and Referring to the books, do you think the well, I've seen like, like well, I've seen you before, and her, you know, wearing her uh, Russian uniform, her KGB uniform and stuff. Were these things that didn't quite translate when they were changing her being a Smurfs agent from the book to a Spectre agent in the movie? Like they have, like, how do I say this? Like it's sort of okay. Like we're assuming that her defection was this big embarrassment. Like we're doing the heavy lifting. We, the audience, are doing the heavy lifting. And in the novel, right. and to be fair, from Russia with Love is one of the novels that I have not read. But in the but from what I understand, it's Smirsh. It is a Russian job. Right. It's it's a Russian job, and so she's working for for the Russians. And these are like the, the like guys. the weird kind of having to connect her to the Russians. Still, is just this sort of like weird. Doesn't quite. It works well enough, but isn't quite perfect like you do have to do some leaps yeah i think it's like well we can't change the name of the book yeah can't change the name of the title (laughs) so we need to have russia work in there somehow um yeah what what was the deal it's been a little while since but i i remember reading the deal with the the why they switched everything over there's there's twofold right there's one it's like well russia we don't want to International audience, for one. Lean right, we too want, heavily right. on the Russians. But then also, like, oh, oops, wait, wait, we can't lean on Spectre too much because of the lawsuit thing. So yeah. we'll just kind of walk the well, line. The, the, yeah, and I don't think the lawsuit thing was not nobody, that wasn't an issue. Not yet. yet. So no, they, yeah. they assumed they owned all of the Bond stuff and they could do whatever they wanted. So I think that by putting Spectre in Dr. No and then again in From Russia with Love, it allows them to be this catch-all villainy so you don't have to associate it with any nation and it also, for from Rush with Love, adds a third level of intrigue. Right. You know, so mm-hmm. Spectre's playing everybody off everybody, which is what they would come to do again and again, right? Mm-hmm. They're constantly trying to pit different nations against each other, yeah. which is great. While ultimately profiting and or killing British secret agents. Yes. Exactly. <laughs> I think that first shot of Rosa Klebb, which sort of pushes in on her over Tanya's shoulder, mm-hmm. it, it, lo- it always strikes me as maybe... When they were doing all this mix and match, trying to determine what order the the beginning was going to take place in, because it was very different in the script, it's shot as if it's her introduction. Mm-hmm. And I do think that the way one version of the script was is that you had this scene first, and then you had the reveal mm-hmm. that she was working mm-hmm. for Spectre. But it wor- so mm-hmm. all all of it is shot with a kind of 
certain utilitarianism that would allow it to be moved around. I think at this point they were pretty clear on how much stuff gets discovered in editing, and I think that Terrence Young is playing it kind of close to the vest here. There's lots of singles. There's almost no, there's a master and then all the coverage are in very clean singles mm -hmm. so that you can have all sorts of flexibility in the editing. I mean, this push-in works well, though, as a, just an accentuation of the moment, yeah. as in, okay, we've seen this woman uh, inspecting men, uh, hatching plans with the villains. Then we see a woman that we're not 100% sure what she has to do with anything yet, and then when they come together, let's give a little camera movement for emphasis, and it works fine. Mm -hmm. But you're right. It is, it is a bit more than maybe I would have done there. Like, it's... You're right. It is much more of a character intro style, of like longer push in than maybe you would with just you might just do a little push in at the door uh, mm -hmm. anyway. But it, it still works. Everything in the scene yeah. still works. I maybe. love the Coke bottle glasses. I love the, OK, how ghastly can we make Latalenia? You know, she's this, right, we're yeah. getting this four foot nine woman. We're like basically pasting her hair to her skull and we're putting her in drab military garb and giving her like you know, a, basically a big whip. Like, what else can we do? <laughs> oh, I know. <laughs> Let's get the most like she... hideous glasses we can find. <laughs> or a big phallus. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> right, just yeah. to be clear. And she, you know, she's so gawking in this, you know, like she's obviously attracted to Tanya. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, sometimes you just think of, of glasses and movies as the simple thing. It's like, they've got eyes. They've got eyes. They're looking. They're peeping. They're... They're right. curious or whatever, however you interpret the character. In this case, it's like she's kind of a peeper. Mm -hmm. She's kind of kind of a little creepy. In she's her, got binocular yeah. eyes. Yeah. She's really looking at her closely. Very her close ogling glasses. I love that little acting touch where she put uh, where Latalina puts her uh, hand on uh, Tatiana's like knee and then like immediately withdraws. Like, oh wait, that's not appropriate. Like, I still yeah, have I to pretend like to be professional. There's a like realizing that she like kind of dropped the mask for a second. See, I find that to be maybe I'm more a little more cynical. I think that that's the kind of thing that like uh, creepy bosses do to just feel out the situation. Mm. So it's like I've got you know in her mind she's like I know I've got two seconds to touch her and see what she does, and if she doesn't react the way I want her to, I just pull it away and try to forget it happened, or I say oh you know oh sorry about that or whatever it is that creepy bosses do. That's how I interpreted that. It's like. I'm not only feeling her out, uh, literally and figuratively, <laughs> for uh, this mission to make sure she's ready and, and the right person for the job, but I'm also going to feel her out for my own <laughs> intentions because I imagine occasionally she gets lucky, I guess. is the yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Occasionally, some of these women probably uh, fall in line with her, her desires. It's a real assault. It's a, mm -hmm. a very rough and tumble kind of interview that, that goes mm -hmm. on here because she really pushes on a number of fronts and threatens in a number of different ways. And it's pretty amazing to watch Tanya and, just kind of take yeah. it, you know? And she does the classic, gets real aggressive and violent for a second and then immediately softens afterwards. Mm -hmm. The real abusive. It reminds me a little bit of the Mr. Show skit where he makes the with the pan. <laughs> and Bob Odenkirk makes you touch the pan, it burns your hand, he's, and then he's like, there, there. <laughs> he starts rubbing her hair, even though he's clearly trying to hurt this person, but then making them think, oh, I wasn't trying to hurt you. And that's, uh, I mean, that's, you know, all joking aside, that's classic abusive behavior, mm -hmm. you know. So that's what, a bit what it feels like with her. 
It also does a nice job of showing how like socially adept Tanya is. She's able to be kind of creeped out, but then like I was an inch too high for the ballet, you know, <laughs> like I was in love. Yeah. Like she's able to be, she's able to like kind of like pick like you know recover very quickly and just be kind of and be very likable. Yeah, she's good. She because she's very affable. When mm-hmm. the ballet question comes, it's a nice, simple, banal question. And she's like being friendly. She's adding an extra bit of information as if they're about to have a conversation about this. And she's sweet. And then immediately Cleb turns it to a much more like personal question, obviously. Mm-hmm. That and you Tanya have three responds, lovers, yes. <laughs> and Tanya responds like, Hey, that's out of line. And then Rosa Cleb immediately reminds her what the social situation is here. <laughs> What's the context? And Tanya's right. like, Oh yeah, right, cool. Well, I was in love. Like, she immediately adjusts to, like, right, I guess I do need to answer this question, so I'm just going to go with the flow. Mm-hmm. So she's not – her anger's gone immediately. That that reactive defensive mechanism that popped up is gone because she knows how to acclimate to the situation. You know, one of the things that I noticed in that conversation, because it's covered in two uh, clean singles, and so you don't have the presence of the other person. So you're really sharing the point of view of each character. Mm. So, like, they're moving us back and forth from inside kind of in Rosa Klebb's head – gawking at Tanya because we're asked to look at her that way and then the the angle on Rosa Klebb is really kind of like Tanya's point of view looking at grotesque Klebb and what's weird is then when she stands up and walks around and hands her the picture of Bond the logical thing would be we get to see this picture of James Bond let's see the picture that she fell in love mm-hmm. with and we don't see it it's such well, a it's such an interesting choice because yeah. later on we are going to see what a photograph looks like when handed to <laughs> to Bond. Well, not not immediately though, right? Or no, do we do? That's the. I, I I like the the way that it's played. That it's like, well, it's you know, we you you it trusts you enough. Well, I, I feel like you know that's a that's a complaint that I have about a lot of modern movie making. It's just like you know. Uh, you know, I'm gonna you hand you the photograph, then cut to you know extreme close up, mm-hmm. you know pickup shot of of you know yeah, everything's an insert the photograph, and it's like yeah, it's like okay, well, like hit it over the head. But I like that they just trust you enough to be like you know to to let you get to the next scene with with without with just assuming that that's what's going on. It's a little like in the Silence of the Lambs when Clarice is handed this picture of Lecter's previous victim and. All you see is Clary staring at the picture. You never see the picture. Mm-hmm. Right. You just have Dr. Chilton kind of telling you what it is. <laughs> mm-hmm. So makes you have to imagine it. Yeah. While, while we're still on, uh, on uh, Rosite, I'm doing some furious background looking up to, to, to figure out when, like, what was the Russian attitude towards homosexuality versus, like, is Spectre also more... Um, Kind of is that more of a welcoming? Scene? Is she allowed to be uh, a little more open with Spectre than she would be within the the you know Russian uh, High Council within the Ministry? Like to be like, um, you know, is it? Uh, it keeps going, you know, fluctuating depending on who's in charge, and there's a lot of different people in charge by the time we get here, so it's hard to get a, a clean read on it. But that's an interesting wrinkle. Is if she was like. You know, if if that hand on the knee and then retraction, not only not to kind of invalidate anything we've said so far, but it could also be like, oh, right. I forgot this is a Russian operation, not a Spectre operation. Like, I, <laughs> right. I have to be I have to be more professional because this, I can't I'm not hanging out with my Spectre friends who totally think <laughs> the Spectre party. They let me the be best. me. But uh, but I got to be Russian here still. Well, and then the, with, you know, riffing off that idea, it, it would be appropriate for Spectre to be 
open more open because then they can sure. prey on people that are oppressed like okay the russians don't let you be gay come over to our criminal organization and we'll let you do whatever you want we won't say a thing we right. might even supply you with some you know agents that might <laughs> want a party or whatever and yeah so that that's an interesting idea yeah that that could very well be one of the ways they recruit people is to bring in the people that are sort of outsiders in the power structure somewhere yeah I love this idea of a more inclusive spectrum. <laughs> I think it's kind of great. And when you look at all the people that they've allowed to be in the organization, mm-hmm. yes. yeah, they seem to they seem to be pretty open anyway. Will you let your nice. freak flag fly, Mr. Bond? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Hey, I like it. I want to see the rainbow Spectre octopus. <laughs> Speaking of Russians, uh, so we watch these films, you know, specifically you know, mid-century uh, representations of Russia as you typically villains in these spy thrillers and so on, and even all the way up into the Up for an October. And let me ask you guys, do you think that they Russians really call each other comrade all that much, or is this an affectation that we've given them in Western mm. cinema? I mean, did they really go around saying comrade, comrade, comrade all the time? And did it, no. and is that really was that like a state mandated? You will now call everyone comrade. <laughs> I think. I mean, if you, um, I guess I haven't really encountered it as much uh, here. But living in New York for a long time, and Joe, you can uh, back me up in this. That a lot of people who are um, maybe more recent immigrants. Um, you know, a term of address is often my friend. You know, mm-hmm. so, oh, my friend. You know, you can't do that. Or, mm-hmm. oh, my my friend. You know, do you have that? And so it's like a. And when they get more westernized, um, it becomes buddy. Right. Yeah. <laughs> hey, buddy. Hey, buddy. You come on and help. I help you now, buddy. <laughs> and so maybe it's along those same. You know, it's a similar term of address. It's you know, like my friends. You know, mm-hmm. comrade being like kind of, but but with an undertone of of yes, we're we're. You are my friend, but we're friends in the service of the the greater good. Mm-hmm. The the Russian word isn't even comrade i you know that's just our western version of the word that they use mm-hmm. I, is it's it tabak, something that... tabak, something i can't even pronounce it, it has like five consecutive <laughs> consonants at the end and a backwards k but, for some reason but it's much more of a business partner colleague kind of address so oh, yeah. you're kind of Wait, calling so... so to me it's closer to mister mm-hmm. so it could be something that you would say yes mr so-and-so yes comrade so-and-so well, there is so, a, what I was going right. to say, John, is there is a shorthand in uh, movies, in movies like mid-century movies, where you know if you're Mexican, you automatically refer to everybody as senor. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're French, everybody's monsieur or mademoiselle. Um, yeah, you know, and I guess with Russian, it's comrade. I, I think it's also right. it's like an easy shorthand for you know dumb Americans to understand. Well, and there's I guess in this particular case, we're in a military mm-hmm. setting, so the right. formal. The formal, you know, comrade, club, they, you know, the, that formal thing, you know, and even in the Navy uh, or in Star Trek, as we know, like they'll say Mr. even to a woman. Right. So uh, right. I suppose it's similar to that. But I've always kind of thought it seemed phony. <laughs> it seemed a little <laughs> there's there's like 15 comrades thrown around in the scene. And it's mm. like, I just don't know if they really do it that much. But it's so easy in the like Western idea of what Russians are. Hey, they say comrade. They start almost every sentence with it, right? You know, it's kind of what it feels like. <laughs> and since the Spectre people don't use comrade, nor do they have any other mm-hmm. moniker that they apply to each other, it just helps deepen the whole idea that this is a big Russian operation. Right. More f- 
faux Russian operation. Yeah, they don't use the formal, you know, tense in in Spectre anyway because they're too inclusive. Like everybody's just like, <laughs> you know, besides the no, the numerical, they just the, give the you numerical numbers. thing. Right, yeah, everybody's kind of on an even keel, you know. <laughs> Uh, I was going to ask if it was like, wait, is it one of the words that Colossus would say in the X-Men all the time? And it is. It, yes. It's that t- <laughs> oh, tavarish, absolutely. <laughs> sh- oh, yeah, right, right. Yeah, there is a little bit at the end there, but that's I'm like, yeah, mm-hmm, that's it. <laughs> it. It's been a few months since I've seen the the um, whole thing. But we saw that Rosa was number three in the pecking order. Right? She was number three. And then uh, Kronstein was number five. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. And did we did we encounter a two or a four or it's we, a, because that, last week um, we discussed who could have who might have been two was Doctor right. No two and do they retire their number like when, right. they, when they get taken out like like baseball oh. teams right no that I had a uh, I now I remember I had a theory about that that they can bump up a little bit and be you know as they get promoted and that's why I was trying to explain away some of the uh, the reusing of actors sometimes. Mm. I was like, oh, no, well, that, that's because he just got promoted to Blofeld. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> or he got promoted, to, you know, from from that, you know, scenario. So that that's what it is. But I, I do love that kind of, uh, you know, it's the, the example that we always use, you know, in Star Wars is the Clone Wars. Just, you know, throw something out there to be like, oh, yeah, and this thing happened in this greater universe that you're <laughs> stepping into, you're peering into, but we're not going to fill in all the details. So having, mm-hmm. having a three and a five and leaving it open for some other numbers is is good i yeah. appreciate that world building and, and there is a, eventually a promotion we will I, I don't know if it's in this movie or if it doesn't happen until thunderball or or you only live twice but in one of those movies somebody does get a number bump oh really hmm. blofeld blofeld assassinates somebody yeah, is it and then thunderball the next person gets a gets a bump up it's thunderball maybe. right maybe. i think it, it is be. no i, I think because is that the one where they had the massive conference room like yes. the steel, yeah. yeah, yeah. That's when it happens. Oh, yeah. I think the guy gets uh, his chair turns into a slide. Is that what I'm trying to remember? <laughs> gets electrocuted. Oh, that's what it is. What is it? Is that or am I thinking all the way ahead to? Uh, Along with Delbert Grady from The Shining, he's he's in right. He's in there. He's in that movie. Right. Okay, isn't there a point where one of, some Spectre agent or some villain in some Bond movie over time is sitting in a chair and it just turns into a slide and they just slide away? Or am I just uh, did I just write something? Yeah, no, I think. Well, so. you only live twice. Bond goes down a corridor a, where that turns into a slide and that slide lands slide. him in Tanaka's chair. chair. Right, which is and then incredible. A Love bridge it. that there's a bridge that separates in the middle and drops the girl into the piranhas mm-hmm. she right. kind of slides she kind of slides mm-hmm. down into the water and then i think there's another there's kill? also some kind of a thing in the spy who loved well, me well that's the elevator that sh- shoots them into a shark tank it, i think right right, right. okay okay and if you do a kill from the blimp <laughs> maybe that sounds Is that right. it okay that sounds right yeah it sounds like a christopher walken move <laughs> just uh, turn <laughs> his chair into a slide more of a christopher sliden move Oh, <laughs> there we go. That's what we were looking for, <laughs> Joe, on the show. I bring the magic. What can I say? <laughs> can I use the opportunity of talking about uh, uh, killing killing people in the organization to to uh, 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 enable promotions? Can I use well, that as I, a, as I a segue no. to the next scene? <laughs> I do a podcast with you, Pete. I'm not sure if I want to get it. What are we talking about here? Anyway, well, so. the, the, the uh, we cut from the from the. Um, you know the, this meeting into where we're going to find James Bond, and the the first person we see the the people punting on the river, mm-hmm. 
And uh, and the the punting man, quote unquote, um, is Michael Culver, who played Captain Nita in oh. The Empire Strikes Back. Who gets? Oh, wow, he's, really? Yeah, he's he's the guy who get, was the uh, you know, yeah, exactly yeah. gets killed, uh, and somebody else gets promoted in his stead. Oh so. wow. That's, nice job. That's nice good. ring for yeah. that, Pete. Pete. Wow. Mitch, do you know that Pete has a database? You have a database, right, of crossover between Bond and Star Wars? Um, yeah, I did it for- like a spreadsheet. Uh, oh, yeah, when you guys did that podcast, right? Where you yeah, were talking Bonding. about the crossovers. I made it yeah, for, for uh, yeah, for Matt uh, at James Bonding, and then uh, we used it to do- We did an episode with them, just kind of going over some of my favorites- um, but it, yeah, it's, it's, it's a very rudimentary, just kind of using the IMDb. IMDb has that feature of like, you know, right. you can work, yeah. what's the crossover between these two films. And so it's just kind of a script that pulls in the numbers for each of those mm. and you can click That's like, okay, great. who's in Star Wars and, uh, who's in Empire Strikes Back and From Rush With Love? Okay. So quite a few people. So then we're, we're <laughs> yeah. definitively saying he's saying punting. Mm-hmm. Yes, he's definitely okay, saying punting. I always that's hear that's bunting, and I'm like, "Well, that's not. I know what bunting is." <laughs> no, but punting is when you go on the mm-hmm. when you go on the river and you pull along on the on the boat. So then it's punting. also in the British parlance is is kicking a ball in rugby, which right, is right. then becomes <laughs> if you're getting rid of something, you say you're punting it. All, you know what I mean? And mm-hmm. so it's like, right. why would this that mean this? And that's what they refer to gamblers as punters as well. Really? Gamblers that you're going to take advantage of. Uh, as punters. Hmm. So hmm. see Clive Owen in well, Croupier. And see them yeah. them yelling, <laughs> the uh, uh, Judean People's Front yelling, calling everybody punters in Life of Brian, right? They just <laughs> oh, I thought they called them splitters. Splitters. You're, no, somebody splitters. says punter at some... Well, they have. They say Does multiple really? things. Okay. I'm pretty sure somebody calls somebody a punter. <laughs> and and I remember funny. thinking, like, is that... They're referring to rugby? I guess. <laughs> it's a very uh, all-purpose word, sounds yeah. like to me. Yeah. So, lots of meanings. Well, and then Bond gives it uh, an additional meaning. Mm. Right? Is he? Go. I mean, this has got to be sexual innuendo that he then... He takes the literal from Captain Nita as he goes by and turns it into sexual innuendo, correct? <laughs> he says, That's kind of what they pay him for. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's not the punting, the sport, yeah. right? The sport. He says it's <laughs> yes. a, I agree that it's good sport. We should mention the cheeky Matt Munro vocal of From Russia with Love <laughs> on the transistor radio totally. as the diegetic move. <laughs> you know, it wasn't that new of a thing. They've been doing that kind of wackiness mm-hmm. For years, I, I think about High Noon and all the different ways that that theme seems to work in in that movie. And so this was kind of a convention, but it is funny because we didn't get vocals for the titles. Mm-hmm. Right. So this is the first time we hear the vocals of the is song. It be- which is, yeah. is it because they didn't find the vocals strong enough to lead the movie with? <laughs> is it possible? Quite, I would say that's quite yeah. possible. Because yeah. yeah. they're like, people are going to think of the movie. The name of the movie is Rusher. <laughs> he does have yeah. that. Yeah, uh, but it's no more anemic than where we are now with the current crop of theme songs. I mean, the Sam Smith thing is just like, oh. It's There's just little, definitely it's a trend right now that I'm not, yes. you know, I'm not yes. really a fan of. <clears throat> so I thought Skyfall was pretty great. Well, yeah, Skyfall. Yeah, but, but that's the kind that's, of exception that proves the rule, more or less. Right. Then right. after that, they're like, let's make everything kind of, you know, like like slow and, and mm-hmm. you know, emotional. Which, and it's like, well, a little bit too far. Too far. <laughs> Bring it wait, back. I'm trying to, to remember. Did she only do one? She only did one? Yeah. And then yeah, Sam Smith. Yeah. I think everybody expected her to come back. Expected oh. her to come back. Yeah. But they got Sam Smith for Spectre instead. 
And then um, it's it's who is it for No Time to Die? Um, Bill Eilish. Yeah. Oh, right. Who since we've heard the song, I, feel like I can't remember. Intervening, yeah. The song so in, in between, kind of her getting announced and the song coming out, and then the movie actually, hopefully, eventually coming out one day. <laughs> I feel like her her stock has risen quite a bit. That's this do we we um, when you know my co-host Alex and I were talking about uh, some of these movies on our weekend show. We we were kind of gauging the uh, the popularity of the artist versus what you know, like, is this boosting James Bond or is this boosting the artist or is it a nice you know meeting of the two? Like, what who's more high profile here and who's doing what? And you know, were they ever able to just kind of in ca- capture you know an artist at their peak um, who had a peak outside of you know like uh, you know besides you know kind of passing um, fads? Were they able to ever kind of? Um, get an artist kind of more or less in their prime. All right. And I think the closest was Duran Duran, who were like huge. Yeah. I would argue that Tom Jones was probably at his peak when he when he oh, did yeah. that Thunderball theme song. And Nancy Sinatra was certainly popular. She'd had right. hit multiple hits. Um, d- and Paul McCartney and Wings was... That's Paul McCartney. Uh, that, that, was, that was pretty uh, I mean, Adele sold a ton of records before she did Skyfall, but... I right. think Skyfall also gave her a big boost. Yeah, she got boosted by the but movie. But she was right. she was very po- she was very enough. popular already. But uh, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah, and then some of them just didn't get any help at all, right? Uh, like garbage it's as if it didn't even garbage. happen. Garbage or Jack White or right. it doesn't really Jack matter, White you know, wasn't a blip kind of... on him. I mean, he was his popularity is outside of any kind of hmm. context of James or... Bond. Uh-huh. It's kind of silly. <laughs> and he'll he'll probably tell you that too. Yeah, yeah, yeah really. well, it's kind of silly that they had him. I mean, he did. He just didn't fit. What, what oh, I, I like I like that one. I think it's a weird, it's, interesting. It's fine. It just doesn't. What we're, from what we're talking about, as far as marketing and it didn't quite fit. Like it didn't really help. Yeah. They didn't help each other at all. In what, mm. in context of what Pete was specifically saying about it, but it was all over for Aha, right? By the yeah. time that yeah. they did, I think they, in, they, in the United possibly States, possibly before yes. they did that. I don't know. Well, yeah, that's I true. Mean, they were bigger. You guys are discounting the fact that they were the big as the Beatles in Scandinavia. I mean, they're <laughs> giant, and I'm not kidding, like really, really big, yeah. and, they, and still are. They still have big shows up there. You know, people love yeah. Aha up there. We just, Although, we only got, we only got a taste. Did she, did Sheena Easton get helped with Three Eyes Only? I think so. Uh, that, yeah. yeah. Well, remember, that's the only one where the up until the time where the artist is actually in the opening credits in the credit sequence. Yeah. Right. Um, right. Yeah. And that got a lot of pop radio airplay uh, for your eyes only. Yeah. It did. I remember that summer. It was on the radio a lot. Mm-hmm. That's sort of interesting. There, there's James Bond movies who have won the the um, or been nominated or won for for the for the Oscar for best, best song. song. Um, it's a weird list that is not what you expect. <laughs> it is not uh, View to a Kill and and Live and Let Die and Goldfinger. Skyfall um, did win, right? Skyfall won, yeah. Right. I think, yeah, yeah. Goldfinger wasn't even nominated? I don't believe so. Again, no. I, this is not a good Well, you're still in the, we're list. still in the age of musicals. Like, we're right at the end of it, but we're mm-hmm. still in the age of, there's, what would have come out the same year, you know, Rodgers and Hammerstein style yeah. that would have come out that year, you know, probably a couple of things, so. Oh, wait, 64 Sound of Music. 64 Sound of Music. Is it, yeah. I, I was going to say, if you're up against Sound of Music, you're getting massacred in the Oscars. <laughs> I mean, that was you had no chance to win any songs. Or I'm assuming it won Best Song. It won <laughs> so many other Oscars. So uh, I think a musical would also take a Best Song. 
This is a great digression because we'll never get to most of these movies that we just talked about <laughs> right. in terms of the themes. <laughs> right. <laughs> so. Oh, but the only two that have won, apparently, are both the recent ones, Skyfall and, and the Sam Smith one, <laughs> Writings on the Wall. Is I'd really one? like to know oh, what was one? up against, like... Oh, I didn't well, know. I'd really like to know what was up against Carly Simon that year. Hmm. Um, I mean, you don't yeah, need to I look it up. Guessed. But I, <laughs> I would well, no, I'm on the page. That one was. So what what year was that? I don't know why. That's like 70, um, 77. Star Wars. Yeah, yeah. 77, 77. According to 78. Academy Award for, yeah. Those 77 year. The 78 yeah. Oscars, but for the 77 year. What do we? Uh, yeah, I'm trying to, I'm trying to guess what, what would have come out in 77 that would have had a song that would have won. But I'm actually, I can't think but of it. It turns out that was the year of Saturday Night Fever. And I know it's not, but that would be funny. Um, oh, boy. Uh, oh, it, this makes sense. I remember looking this up. So the, the other the other ones nominated were uh, He, She, Danced With Me from The Slipper and the Rose. Someone's Waiting for You from The Rescuers. Oh, uh, that is a Candle on the Water from, from Peach Dragon. Dragon. That one, didn't it? Oh, my Lord. Now, uh, You Light Up My Life won. Oh, of course. Uh, so. You Light Up My Life won over The Spy Who Loved What movie is You Light Up My Life from? It's from You Light Up My Life. The movie? You Give Me Hope. <laughs> yeah, you carry it's an American the, yeah. the song. romantic drama. You're right. That was the name of the movie. What is it? Yeah, I always get it confused with Ice Castles. But no, it was You Light Up My Life, I think, was the movie. Yeah. So wow. does that mean that the year Convoy came out, the song won Oscar? An odd list. The, the, Last to, to question see, about no these Bond music <laughs> things. Were the t- My guess would be the two biggest sellers were probably Nobody Does It Better and... Um, Duran Duran. If you do a kill or really? live and let yeah, die, and let die. one of the two. Oh, I mean, live and probably. let die has to be a huge seller. That's a, I think that's a monster seller. I wonder if that's <laughs> the most sold the most records. Live and let die is the first one to be, nom- the first Eon one to be nominated for best song. Casino hmm. Royale, the you know Look of Love was was nominated, but that's does sixty eight. But but uh, yeah, best song Live and Let Die was the first one to ever get nominated wow. for for. That's kind of shocking. I always yeah, find you only live twice to be like. An amazingly produced song. Yeah, I love it. Yeah, yeah. I like that song. The strings are amazing. Uh, yeah, it's it's might be my favorite Bond theme songs. I love everything about that movie. Uh, I he, guess. he hit an I orchestral know. peak. John Barry did with that score mm-hmm. that he mm. doesn't quite. I suppose partially because he switches over, starts playing with synthesizers and other things for the next one. But man, that the orchestration on that soundtrack—it's incredible. Is just yeah, big. And Wonderful. Well, we're not speaking ill of him switching over to synthesizers. Not at <laughs> all. Okay, we are making very, sure. very excited about that switch. It's my favorite of all service. the scores. So I'm saying. I, I never, ever say anything <laughs> bad about synthesizers. <laughs> now, wait, right. who's the other? Uh, this, this is not. We're not. We're not talking about all the James Bond themes from all the different movies. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. Because um, that's the one where there were definitely other additions, right? Because there's this whole thing where they kept trying to get Frank Sinatra because like, Cubby Broccoli was like, Frank said he's going to do it. And they they like would line it up. <laughs> and then like, yeah, yeah, every single time. Or he's like, <laughs> every and, like, time. And uh, yeah. one of the, is this the, I don't know. There, there's there's a couple of times where it's just like that you see what they could have had, and it's yeah. just like a, really? there's like Johnny Cash's theme to Thunderballs one that I remember, which, which is not. Wild, not I, don't know. I do not love great. the idea, yeah. like, Cubby, we got Sinatra. You got Frank Sinatra? Um, no. <laughs> <laughs> Close. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's basically, it seems like they did it, like, uh, like you know, they're like, Frank, you going to do the song? He's like, well, uh, Nancy's got a thing coming out. Can you we'll, we'll let her do this one, then I'll come back up. Maybe I'll get the next one. And then, like, he kept kind of stringing them mm-hmm. along. But I feel like there was, this. maybe that was maybe it wasn't that. There's another one where it's like, 
you know, uh, um, Atlantic Records is just like, hey, by the way, we just got this new singer who's going to be big called uh, Aretha Franklin. You want to uh, do one with her? And like, yeah, let's have her record it. And then they, they mm-hmm. like, just shelved it because they're like, nobody's mm-hmm. going to like that. And I'm trying to see what it would. There's a couple of a handful of things where it seems like they shot themselves in the foot musically. But one of those things was not uh, Matt Monroe singing from Russia, <laughs> Russia Is with it Love. Gladys Knight who does Living Daylights? Not Living no. Daylights, so License to Kill? <laughs> License to Kill. License to Kill. All right, so there's Wait, Gladys. Yeah. I couldn't remember who was Gladys Knight or um, why am I drawing a blank on her Love to Love You Baby? Donna Summer. Donna Summer. I can't remember. It's Donna Summer, yeah. Gladys Knight. No, it's, it's Gladys Knight. Uh, I, I wish it was Donna Summer. <laughs> either way, it's one of those song. really, and nothing against Gladys Knight, but really Gladys Knight in 1989, the Bond, that's that's mm-hmm. what you're dealing with. That's what you can get in. I mean, right. yeah, you guys are all in your late 60s now making, you know, trying to make hip action films, but you don't want to make it that obvious you're in your late 60s making action films. <laughs> they really struggle. Yeah. Those those Timothy Dalton movies just feel like they are dinosaurs, yeah. you know? Yeah. And poor Timothy Dalton is just, he's in a different mm-hmm. movie. And well, it's so sad f- because <laughs> yeah. nobody's helping him at yeah. all. Nothing's helping him out. The living, we've probably talked about how the how flat and, Overlit and everything. Living Daylights just looks like a straight to cable. Yeah. As far as like the cinematography, and then the li- and then they react. License to, to Kill is one less than that. Like, <laughs> well, but they tried to infuse it with a modern action movie mm-hmm. ideal, yeah. and it was just too much. But man. they still so, overlit it. Yeah, they still, still did that. Yeah, still so like a TV we, movie. I mean, yeah, but I, they were when you. Yeah, when you get to Goldeneye and you're like, oh my goodness, look, there's smoke in the room. There's yeah. backlight. There's there's shadows. This is great. Yep. These things are supposed to be pretty. Oh, yeah. And 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 how has that happened when you look at From Russia With Love to bring it back here? Yeah, it's hard light. And yeah, some of it's in studio. But like the, the way that that caravan hotel thingy is lit mm-hmm. at first looks like a studio because it's the lighting is so precise but that isn't to say that it's overlit there are deep deep shadows and it's it's gorgeous yeah. there's a lot of really beautiful beautiful lighting oh totally well and also you know from rush with love whatever you would say about the lighting it also has great costumes which the dalton films lack it has right. you know absolutely right. uh, you know it has character actors that you're supposed to take seriously and Mm-hmm. Living Daylights and excuse me, uh, Licensed Skills, a lot of good character actors in it, but they're all playing it for the like to the cheap seats. It's Everett yeah, McGill is not doing again, his most subtle movie. Perf- Everett McGill has more subtlety when he's yeah. playing the werewolf <laughs> in, Silver, in Bullet. Silver Bullet. Than he has. And I mean, actually, yeah. in the bad bear suit with the hat, you know, with the, like the mask. <laughs> I know, and I I love that guy. Like mm-hmm. that's like the only movie so I can think of that I can, that he was in that I didn't like his performance, and he just seems really to be very uncomfortable. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> So, but back to the yes. back to the river. So, so we're at so the river. We're on location. <laughs> we're actually on yeah. location here, right? Um, we are. We're at the Henley Riverside. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we have the reappearance of Sylvia Trench. We met her in, in Doctor No. Mm-hmm. And here she is again. Yeah, she was fully intended to be. I mean, was she kind of intended to be a running joke that this mm-hmm. was going to happen in yeah. every episode, right? And every and sh- every show, she wasn't going to. She wasn't going to. It, it's a her. really good idea that they <laughs> left it here. I feel bad for her. I think uh, Eunice Grayson's amazing. I would like to, them to step it up and actually make her more of a character in the next movie instead of just a joke. But if they would have tried to do another scene like this, 
in Goldfinger, it would have gotten cringy fast. I don't dislike this mm. scene at all, but I don't think you could do another one. I do like this. that they're maintaining her character. I mean, not only with the Jamaica reference, but also with the, oh, this beats golf. Because remember, in Dr. No, I was putting. Right. <laughs> See, nowadays, that would be heavy-handed sequelizing <laughs> stuff, right? It would be like, mm-hmm. well, that, that makes me want to quit golf. Remember me? I'm the one that was putting in the room. <laughs> yeah, they would actually say the dialogue on. I was pretending was there. <laughs> <laughs> yes, right, there yeah. would be parentheticals in the dialogue. Uh, yeah, and... Uh, and you know him mentioning the mentioning of Jamaica and so on, but back then it was shrewd sequelizing. It was like, okay, we got to make sure yeah. these people realize. Some people saw from Rush with Love had never seen Doctor No yeah. either, too. So uh, we at least know that they have a history mm-hmm. and it's specific. And then when they see Doctor No, they'll know. Oh, hey, that's what they were talking about. But nowadays, this is the kind of stuff that you don't want. And see, it's just the we're in a different landscape of mm, film watching. Although, while not some, I mean, it doesn't feel that way with the current no. crop of Daniel Craig films, which are totally serialized, but really they stop it with the Eon movies after From Russia mm-hmm. with Love. There's no reference to the other two pictures in Goldfinger or Thunderball, or as, as we move on, nobody refers to previous Bond films until we get back to Daniel right. Craig. Uh, just, well, just and to make only things clear, on uh, Majesty's Secret Service, when Bond cleans out his desk, he has Red Grant's watch. Oh yeah, you're right. Of course, sorry. And sorry. you get the little like musical. Right. And you get the music scenes, yeah. Right. And so then, that's like a hist- a history of James Bond. Yeah. And the right. the the dumping Blofeld down the tube thing, where he's at the he's at Tracy's grave. I'll mm-hmm. buy you a deli. And uh, you know that that indicates that something happened previously, and it says you know like Tracy. Mm-hmm. They Bond, just don't say like, it. Like they, we have they, all the time in the world. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that, I guess yeah. You could say that when he's beating people up at the beginning of Diamonds Are Forever, he's trying to find uh, well, Blofeld yeah. because he Tracy's dead. But they never say that or acknowledge yeah. that. It's almost right. like if you haven't seen it, he's chasing him after the hollowed out volcano. Although, so he's there's that just reminds me that that leads into. But um, I want to go to. I know it makes John angry. I think when I talk about the uh, how everything kind of uh, gives support to the code name theory. Oh, um, doesn't make that, me angry. No, I'm no, okay with I that. Thought, I thought you were thought you were opposed, heavily opposed to that. <laughs> well, but, um, I'm heavily I, opposed to it, so maybe that's <laughs> right. Well, I don't think I'm heavily opposed to it. I don't think I also am not for it, but <laughs> that well, doesn't in, make in, me angry. <laughs> in Diamonds Are Forever, that's why he's so upset. Is because like he, Sean Connery, James Bond tried to retire, and Lazenby Bond took over, and then he only made oh. one mission and got murdered. So then, like Sean Connery Bond is pissed off that he has to come back, and he's like, "Oh come on, like I was out, like, oh, and you guys made me come back to do this so, thing." No, I don't believe that. <laughs> yeah, I, I can't, you know, I can't. It, it keeps I going can't go and it there. gets it gets worse from there. So I don't want to I don't want to spiral down the like codename theory thing, but like, what is it with nerds that they just can't let something be what it is? <laughs> that's what well, th- I, makes them right. nerds. I mean, like, well, yeah, sure. And I'm, that's the, yeah. I'm as big as nerd as anybody here. You wouldn't know it from my Seven Sark Seven shirt, but <laughs> <laughs> but it's just like you know, I get the fun of trying to find continuity, but when you're actually like composing elaborate theories and writing essays and having like uh, the charts with like yarn that go from one picture to another, yeah. or whatever those yeah, are called, yeah. like, yeah, just give it a rest. It's a movie, man. It's fun. Did you like <laughs> no, it? it? Was, well, that's, yes, no, either way. You know, like, that's the thing that I'm not, you know, I'm not uh, sitting here and be like, no, this is the way it is. Like, you have to understand. I'm, like, I'm doing it purely from the fun side of things. I'd be like, well, how can we make that? I know sure. here it directly contradicts the uh, the code name theory, but how can we make that not a contradiction? What, like, what can, we, have... can we do for the no prize equivalent of the? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, see, it, Pete, it, remembers, Pete remembers when it was that you were just sitting around in your 
apartment watching a movie and somebody had an idea and they said, oh, wouldn't it be cool if it was this? Yeah. And then they continued to watch right. the movie <laughs> and didn't make right. it into a think piece or go on Twitter about it. Yeah. You know, the, there was a time when nerdery was fun and <laughs> right. brief. There was like brevity to it. There was like an end to it. You just talked about it. You didn't make it your life's like, you know, we, we all have fun using this term headcanon. Mm-hmm. <laughs> The, but the head is a contained thing. <laughs> like sometimes I'm like your head cannon is yours. You don't have to like throw it at every other person in the world and then make it part of your identity that you continue on in social media, you know? And uh, <laughs> so it's nice though, Pete, that you remember the days when you could just have a exactly. discussion about that no, and, and, I, and I be fun and not that. make people angry, which I did not get angry. <laughs> and there's, you know, a, a larger th- cool. issues. There are larger issues I have with, with this sort of nerdery too, where like, Oh God! I hate what they're doing in the Fantastic Four nowadays. Well, really? Well, you have five hundred other Fantastic yeah. Four comics you can read. You've got to forgotten about some of them. <laughs> like... right, yeah, read them. <laughs> you know, I, before I um, get letters or whatever emails or <laughs> what do the kids do these days? The, the postings, mm-hmm. telegrams, uh, twitters. Um, there also are references to both Doctor No and From Russia with Love in the titles. Of yes, they show scenes they pre- from the previous oh, right. movies. Project scenes from right. the previous, and, and, and also just, the so, current movie, which was weird. <laughs> yeah, that's weird, isn't it? Well, we'll get there when we get to Goldfinger. Uh, maybe. I did want to clarify too when I was saying that these things that are said that refer to Doctor No are things we don't want in movies today. I was not saying that we don't have them in movies today. <laughs> I'm saying that oh, we, don't, saying we don't want them. <laughs> like, this is the kind of stuff where they think they have to give it to audiences. And I guess some members of the audience appreciate it. And some of us refer to it as, like, um, heavy-handed fan service. It's like, I don't need to be reminded of that thing. That's all I'm saying is that. But in this case, this yeah. is a new concept. The sequel uh, is a relatively new concept when this movie comes mm. out. So we appreciate the little references mm. uh, to and, and her relationship to Bond. And it also ties into their relationship as in like what, how the scene plays out mm-hmm. here in, in president. And not the just... books are serialized. So right. it's not like it's doing something that's outside of the realm of Fleming's mm-hmm. James Bond. There right. are direct references back and forth in the continuity of the novel. And it so. kind of goes without saying the books were gigantic in their time. Oh yeah. Like their sale. At yeah. this point, this book was so popular well, this... with Kennedy and, and it was really starting to ascend and Fleming was starting to make, some big bucks right in time mm. for him to die <laughs> i know yeah. no time right to die kids yeah. don't smoke too <laughs> late smoke quit smoking <laughs> or at least don't smoke the way he yeah smokes, don't smoke right? seven Those, packs a day <laughs> don't smoke seven packs a day so that when you finally hit it big it's right when you can die. and wash it down with a fifth of, with a fifth of whiskey every night like, right right i'm on my vodka hey, diet I, now speaking of vodka well done. You did it perfectly. There you go. We got. I wanted to mention the vodka that they're enjoying before their champagne cools mm-hmm. off. And mm-hmm. I love that he's got the champagne in the water tied to a string, which reminds me of Pickup on South Street. Yes. I just wanted to <laughs> mention that. Rich, it's it's like the rich, for, the rich man's Pickup on South Street. You know? right. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, he's because he's just got cases of beer, right? Yeah. Chilling in the harbor. Cases of beer and his like, flop on the side of the dock. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> On like the Lower East Side. Yeah, this isn't pick up on South Street by seven, but is he renting that place or is he just flopping there? I've always kind of assumed it was a flopping. I don't see like who's the landlord of your sea shack on exactly. the Hudson River. Exactly. <laughs> probably actually and, and probably. If, and East if you're River, not but. getting 
If you're not getting any of these references and you haven't seen Pick Up on Good South God. Street, <laughs> please watch. Go it. see Pick Up. Yeah, on it's South a great Street. movie. We really, we, we it's a great movie. It's it's uh, it's as good as from Russia. Mm. And Blood. by the time this episode <laughs> airs, I believe it will have been released on Criterion Collection Blu-ray. That's I believe it's which true. will be a beautiful way to see. I've never seen it in uh, a high definition, so mm. it'll be nice to nice to get that disc. Mm. Wow, we're all we're full yeah. of all kinds of. Uh, <laughs> it's Cold War adjacent. It's good. Yeah, sure. it's okay. Oh yeah, there's secrets. There are secrets. I love the idea that they're drinking vodka for waiting for their champagne to cool, and then Bond will drive away presumably because his car is right there. Right. <laughs> well, well, in an hour and a half. Gonna, yeah, in an hour and a half. They're, yes, they're they are going yeah. to. Yes, I believe he'll be sober by then for multiple reasons. Mm. <laughs> Do, does Bond ever get drunk? Like now that you bring he gets it up, drunk in Quantum of Solace. It, uh, yeah. Oh, that's right. That's and it's implied right. in the beginning of Skyfall that he's basically yeah. been on a like six month long drunk or something yeah, like that. Yeah, you're right. Mm. He's he's drunk enough to put a scorpion on his arm and yeah, all that stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but who is it? Wait, you have to be drunk to do that? Right. <laughs> you don't have to. It helps a lot. Uh, but yeah, you're right. You're right. So Daniel Craig's the drunkest Bond. He's the, is he the Bond that can't hold his liquor? Uh, I never thought mm, about it that way. Well, I think what... no, it just takes a lot to get him <laughs> right. drunk because he's. I think he's drank seven vespers <laughs> or something like that in Quantum of Solace. No, that would do so it. That would do it. That'd do it. I kind <laughs> of remember that there was like an interview with Sam Mendes uh, around the time that Skyfall came out because people were criticizing the fact that Bond was drinking beer at one point, and Mendes' right. response is like, "Listen, James Bond's an alcoholic." Like yes, he prefers <laughs> like you know thirty year scotch, you know thirty year single malt, and fine martinis. But he will drink anything when well, when push comes to shove. And if I learned oh, yeah. anything from Howard Hawks movies, it's if you're a really really bad drunk, you drink a lot of beer for some reason. Still, hmm. <laughs> there does Dean Martin is yes. always drinking beer in you Rio beer, Bravo, dude? and Walter Brendan's always drinking beer and have and have not. It's really strange. So I grew up thinking, I was like, oh, yeah, I guess if you're a total alky, you're fine as long as you're just drinking beer, mm-hmm. which is not true at all. Not true. Not true. You're fine if you're just getting drunk off vanilla extract. Yeah, sure. So uh, do we mention the pocket pager? Yes, he does, have his, he does have his futuristic beeper. Which is a, as new of a thing as it could have possibly been. So this is a good example of a Bond film being right on the cutting edge. The, this is the very year, I believe, that the uh, commercial pager came out uh, well, from Ma Bell. The Bellboy. The Bellboy. The, Ma- the Bellboy yeah. comes out in 62. There were pagers apparently in the 50s uh, in New York City. Doctors were using mm-hmm. some kind of a, of a pager, a big, which basically just said, call your service. I think it was like six inches long, too. I, wow. if I, were, I saw a picture <laughs> of it. It looked massive. I might be wrong. But yeah. Club was threatening us with earlier. <laughs> Did any uh, anybody here? We got three three guys who were in their like teens and early twenties in the nineties. Did any of you guys have pagers like I did for no reason? It was a popular. Had a pager. It was a popular accessory in the nineties to have a pager. It, it was. was like, I you, skipped that. I I don't know why, but I was like, you I'm were... going to be cool and get a pager. And I mean, uh, to be fair, I had friends far flung all over the area and. I'd get paged by, I, I, was, I would be at work, I'd get paged, I'd call them and they'd come hang out, so it would work out sometimes, but I wasn't a drug dealer. Mm. That was where right. the accessory comes from. It's from the drug dealer. <laughs> yeah. And it was you'd have that little big... clip sticking out of your pocket and it meant you were cool and it was dumb. It was, it was a big dumb. kind of outer borough girl thing. 
you know, when Ooh. I just around the time Where? I graduated high school, like, you know, n- people with nothing to do with drugs or anything illicit whatsoever, pretty much, like, would have pagers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was going to say, when, not not outer borough, but Manhattan was m- my wife had a pager when I first met her. I think that's how I first. But you, but by the time contact with her, but by that time, I think you had a cell phone. No, you no, were no, pretty. You were a relatively early adapter of cell phone, but not like Nassau County. Not, not like Nassau County rich girl early adapter where they had them like, right. you know, when we were 19. But you couldn't call right, them right. on it because every phone call was like $45, basically. <laughs> right. Yeah. Are these the ones you carry over your shoulder? <laughs> no, they were. They, they were I had a guy ones. following me around. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they were small enough to be pocket, but the pricing hadn't come down. It was one of those if you get a flat tire, because God forbid you change your own tire, you, you call. Right. Right. Well, he's also got a car phone yeah. so I, that made me wonder when were car phones uh invented and i it looked like 1958 the germans hmm. had had them in their cars so hmm. well, commercial cell phone so the original pager right was working off of a similar radio frequency as as a as a radio right like a transmitter frequency or whatever i'm not i'm already out of my depth talking about this stuff yeah, uh, i have no idea and, no and the car radio works was it wouldn't the car phone have been on a similar i mean how else could you get the signal get the phone line into it would have to have been really just kind of a radio that looks like a phone right i assume it'd be a radio that would go to a, sw- a switchboard and the switchboard would then patch you into the to a telephone i bet it you know, sounded a lady, fantastic a lady, a, a lady would push or, a button put a you know plug thing into a switchboard yeah it's it's yeah. always been kind of confusing to me how those worked then pre-satellite signal right. you know cell phone technology yeah i guess it is it would have to be like a like a really tight um signal you know like uh, each one is a very specific bandwidth that mm-hmm. you're gonna mm-hmm. i don't know yeah it who knows how and why they worked then? Who knows how and why they work now? Mm. <laughs> I don't really know. I'm, yeah. I'm fine with that. We, we do get to see Bond's Bentley yes, we do. from the books. And that's that's about it. We don't get to see it again, I don't think, for mm. maybe ever. Mm-hmm. But we don't get to see him drive it around either. But it's a nice-looking car. Indeed. Mm. Yeah. yeah. It's green rather than the gray one in the book. Green pops so, better mm. on a screen. Absolutely. I, think I so guess too. that's it, yeah. We got Money Penny on the line. We got Sylvia Trench making herself known to whoever's on the phone. Pretty, mm-hmm, it, mm-hmm. that's kind of what she's doing, right? Like, yeah, Sylvia bit Trench that. making sure that this importer exporter is going to get fired. Basically, right. <laughs> is there any other point pre Daniel Craig where Money Penny and an, and another Bond girl interact? Am I am I forgetting something? Mm. Live and let die. Oh yeah, opening of Live and Let Die. Uh, M and Money Penny walk into Bond's apartment and Monty Benny helps get the Italian consulate secretary out of Bond's apartment so M doesn't notice. Oh, okay. Anyway, that was just a question that occurred to me. But so... so We've got the two women offered the role of of uh, well of Money Penny and Sylvia Trench in the <laughs> sense that Lois Maxwell was offered either role mm-hmm. and she chose Money Penny over Sylvia Trench. Good choice. And, right. Yep. Or, True to the name, it was worth it was <laughs> worth a lot more to her. Yep. Or yep. do you think they would have were they was her uh was the actress part of the deal? Was it, you know, like if they if if they had reversed it, would they have liked maybe uh Sylvia Trench more than Money Penny and gotten rid of Money Penny as a recurring character and had Sylvia Trench always be kind of 
serving a similar role. Mm, I don't know. I think no. you got to have, well, it's hard to say now, it. but you kind of got to have money, Penny. Like you, you have to have that. Right. Yeah. I and mean, we're going to get into the physical space, which is the buffer between him and him. Mm-hmm. We kind of need that as the movies go on. I mean, it gets more and more uh, problematic, I guess, as, as the movies go on too. But, uh, but yeah, you kind of need that his little ally at the office. There's too many good moments with that. Like, yeah, I don't know what Sylvia Trench. If Sylvia Trench had a very limited intention, at least they intended to give her a very limited character, as in she's always going to be in this certain kind of scene, which I just can't imagine that working. I'm glad it didn't. Uh, they didn't try yeah. it again, but here, this is a good scene though. I, I like, I yeah, like everybody wants, we know who wants what. <laughs> yep. We know who wants what uh, we do get. We do get bond slapping. Now slapping the hand is a fairly, you know, benign action, but the Except Foley they give sound. It the, <laughs> I was going to say what, yeah. ben, what Ben Burt sound effect combination is this like a, is this like a tennis or, or like a, Ping pong paddle on a ribeye. Yeah, I mean, the Foley sounds like it, like an making... Indiana Jones punch in the it, face. It sounds like okay. what was the Ben Burt? What's the combination for the isn't punch? It, it's a it's a, isn't it like a stack of leather jackets on a couch on a leather couch with a baseball, with a baseball bat? bat. Yeah, something, something like, like that. that. For some reason, I thought meat was involved. There was like a wow. there was like a cut of beef involved in the. Oh, that could be the slap. The slap and the punch are two different. Oh, when he, when she slaps him in the yeah. <clears throat> Right, that might right. be dropping a cut of beef. <laughs> so this one, I think this one has to involve a cut of meat. Like this is like, it's so, it's so violent sounding. And <laughs> yeah, it sounds like it really hurts. Of yeah. course, nobody she doesn't respond to it in that way. No. So it, it's no. it's an out of place fully sound. It's a joke, right? It's a comic. It's, I guess it's for comedy. I don't know if yeah. they really play it that well as a joke either, <laughs> but. but. It's just kind of yeah, an odd moment. Yeah, but it seems like it's comedy. Yeah. It's, it's tough guy comedy. Slap the girl. Mm-hmm. You know, keep your hands off. Right. Of the, the, oh, for sure. And when he says behave, do you think that's where um, awesome Mike Myers got the thing? <laughs> oh, behave, <laughs> Sylvia Trench. It seems like it maybe. Yeah. Um, but he's pretty serious here. Like he doesn't want to get in trouble at work again. I mean, he's last time we saw. I mean, he's kind of on the outs with him a little bit. Right, like he's he's definitely not M's favorite, and uh, right. and now he's like, yeah, I really don't want them to know that I'm trying to get laid right now. I want them to actually think. <laughs> of course, I don't know why he has to make Money Penny think that. I think <laughs> he can kind of tell Money Penny whatever he wants, but uh, he's pretty well, I, serious with Sylvia Trench here. To get yeah. her to quiet down. I mean, his job uh, is life or death. Like to be fair, <laughs> he's not actually you know an importer exporter like. When somebody's right. calling him to do a job, it's something kind of important. Right, but he's he's acting the way he is because he doesn't want him to know that they're, he's playing hooky. Yeah, because not, he has really, an important job. This is job. inner office stuff. This is a, <laughs> right, because they've yeah. been trying to get him for a while. Yeah. So if he was that serious like a, about his important job, he wouldn't be playing hooky. I'm just, he's just trying not to get in trouble. He's like a kid. Uh, but, yeah, he is. it is funny to see him get this serious. He's not being snarky, sarcastic, jokey with money penny through the whole conversation like we he comes he wouldn't have this conversation three or four movies from now this yeah. way it would be he would have clever quips to say throughout the whole conversation mm-hmm. uh, I, th- I seem to remember in the book he's being um bored so bored when we find him that he says he's like the blubbery arms of boredom <laughs> are around him or something like that God. and it's just so funny because He's such a swashbuckler in this scene, you know? I mean, he's such a lover, and he's so smooth, and he's so beautiful, and she's beautiful, and it's playful, and it just really, it has this 
panache to it mm-hmm. that is is really it's wonderful it makes it makes it's fun right it's the, the first so many minutes of this movie aren't exactly fun mm-hmm. and this is the first moment of real fun yeah we get we get kind of a mm-hmm. i think a kind of double whammy of fun here cuz we get uh we get the classic uh bond at, like kind of button on a scene where he makes some more sexual innuendo as we you know they close the uh the the top of the bentley there and then we cut to him walking in the room doing a classic bond moment entering money penny's office throwing that hat it's yeah. nice so so we get a little bit of fun but then the fun ends immediately because yeah. him's there I sort of like the idea of him being like, what? you don't toss your hat on a hat rack. <laughs> <laughs> like, <laughs> like, I'm just going to look like it's the worst thing he could have done. It's like, <laughs> I'm telling yeah. you, he's tired of Bond. He's like, Bond is not his favorite. There's no doubt about it. You Bond totally let, that, let that lifeline go when you were on the boat with Ursula Andress. How dare you? <laughs> I'm so mad about that. <laughs> I, yeah, he's going to get to eventually where he hates him. We're, by the time we get to live and let die and roger moore's james mm-hmm. bond man yeah. m just hates well there's this guts. weird like kind of peak and valley because in like thunderball and as i recall and you only live twice m will be talking to some ministry of defense and m's response is well if if 007 says he saw a nuclear missile launch then he yeah. saw a nuclear missile launch you know that's true right that's true well, six up for yeah. his guys when the when others are around you know that's that's just being that's loyal the, I, I do. I like it much more when they're on the same page, at least in the big picture. Mm-hmm. Like Me you too. know, in, in this kind of you know, like sure they might disagree over you know methods and over James Bond's kind of personal um, mm-hmm. habits, but but at least you know, like peccadillos, if you will. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but but then business wise, they're on the you know when they're totally on the same page like that. I feel like that's when it works. But then it's like you know we've too many times they end up going back to the well of like. Like James Bond is going rogue, and it's like, oh, oh yeah, okay, again, all right. M M seems to know that Bond is the right guy for the job. Yeah, you know, it's like whether whatever he thinks about what Bond does in his spare time, he knows that uh, if anybody can pull this off, it's probably going to be mm-hmm. him. Yeah, and and his little frustrations with him make a, make the character work, but then not in the grand scheme. Like the fact that he knows, like, all right, well, this is my guy for this. Mm-hmm. I like I, I like that, and that's on. On display here. Although we get, is this the first? Uh, it's the first time we see Q here, right? Yes. Well, right, first time yeah, we see Kessel in the well. Q's, as Q. He's hanging back there with his big old hands, giant, holding that briefcase. <laughs> and <laughs> and I don't know that I had ever noticed that before. Hmm. I'd never had. I, in the past, I don't think if anybody said, "Oh yeah, Q was standing in the outer office," uncomfortably, I, I remembered it. <laughs> I noticed yeah. it this time, which is yeah, well, because cool. he's new too. He's, yeah, he's the Boothroyd or, or yeah, Major, uh, yeah. which is with Archibald Boothroyd. Is it Archibald? Is that right? <laughs> I don't know about the front first name. That's a I'll have to sounds, check. That. Sounds right to me. It's a very mm, British name, something like that. Um, okay, but he's replacing the other guy that was there, right? Yeah, yeah. There was the other Boothroyd. Well, it's was, weird. Yeah, who took a who took a job on a stage play that <laughs> ultimately didn't even go. Oh God! Well, sorry, <laughs> Doctor No. Him and Eunice Grayson <laughs> got married the next year. No. But yeah, this uh, this um, I guess he th- this isn't the only we see him and then he come he, we he gives him the uh, the stuff later on right he gives him yeah some, that'll be some in gadgets next, in a little the bit next episode yep what is on his desk it looks like the top of the lost ark of the <laughs> I was thinking that <laughs> <Could be. laughs> maybe it is yeah well <laughs> Cleb has a big thing inexplicable thing on her desk too just like a big 
clump of what looks like marble shaped like it also looks kind of like it could be like an egyptian artifact of some kind yeah it seems like that makes sense at least in in turkey but i don't know what cigarettes right i I love the one yeah in the book you know he's got a a naval cannon shell Mm -hmm. that's been turned into a Mm -hmm. ashtray that's awesome (laughs) but i don't know what this thing is so if anybody knows it really does look like like part of the arc i just (laughs) assume if it's on a desk in this time period it's full of cigarettes Mm. It's probably something that's you can open yeah, and it's pretty flat. Maybe there's some like a you know maybe it's like a like a stamp or like a ceiling uh, you know a, a, a seal or something like mm. that in there because there's two so there's two red wax kind of M. urns yeah. or or kind of you know decanter looking things that look one of them looks a little wobbly so I'm assuming they come off of there. Huh. Um, but that's really could be wrong right. or okay, sherry. So, could always be right, a decanter yeah. for sherry. Oh yes. <laughs> uh, Does it bother anybody else? This bothers me, so I'll see if anyone else agrees with me. So we get this uh, continuous scene, right? He's they're in the they're in Money Penny's office. He walks through. She says her little line about it'll be a miracle if he can explain where he's been. They're while M and Bond are walking through the door. They're immediately they're mid (laughs) mid conversation. Somewhere in there, he explained the entire situation. about what was happening because they want to do this cut right in the scene which is a good idea to cut right into the i don't want to hear this we mm-hmm. don't need to hear this we've heard we know this already but why not have a cut there mitch why have it be you know like in a screenplay why not have them be sitting time, at the i desk? always saw it as a time cut there i saw it as a time he's cut. closing the door behind him yeah i know that, but it so is, it doesn't work as a time you're, cut you're right it doesn't work i don't think about it but it is a time cut bernard lee was they, an old well, man obviously it took him a long to time to close the door <laughs> But you gotta, yeah, because, you gotta make sure your actions match your transitional choice. But it you is, know? A, but it is a yeah. time cut mm-hmm. in so much as it goes to Money Penny in a private moment with mm-hmm. Q saying something to him, and then they cut out of that. So it is a time cut because we've stopped, we've stopped to have right. private time with the two of them. But you're right; it's he should be by the, he should be at the desk. Movie he should time, be walking across the room. Movie time excuses it, but if you try to. If you tried to give yeah. Bond the information he gets in the amount of time she says that line, it's not <laughs> no, happening. That's a blocking choice. Right. It's a total blocking choice. To me, it would have just been better to cut it. cold into Bond's reaction, yeah. you know? Like, why not do yeah. that? I mean, they didn't cover yeah. it, right? Is that the point? Like, you, they're doing the... The director decided he was going to walk him He was going to walk him over to the desk and sit him down at the desk, and, and he made that decision at the expense of the logic of how much conversation needs to have taken place for the time cut to make and, sense. And at that... It's Terrence Young's and, fault. Blame it on at him. At that, it's, like, it's a typically not an advisable decision because it's just, that's shoe leather. He doesn't need to be walking to the desk. No, he doesn't. We could just cut to him at the desk saying exactly what he says. But I don't know. Exactly. <clears throat> so, but then you don't get to see the cool inside of the door. <laughs> we, oh, they know. They do walk right. by it. All right. Uh-huh. So that's cool. They, they walk by it on their way yeah. in. So you do get that. But uh, another shot of the of the, the leather door, mm-hmm. the cushion door is always... Uh, I like how the cushion door, think... the double cushion doors will be developed over the series of films. Like they don't have quite as many, uh, I don't know what you call them, but like uh, button points in them yet. Mm-hmm. Like... You know, by the time you get to Thunderball, it's those are gorgeous doors. <laughs> I love a good padded I door. I think this is, <laughs> I think this is the first scene that they shot uh, in England in mm. Pinewood. At mm. Pinewood, so you know maybe that's also to blame for. Could be they didn't know what they were, what was going to be before right. this. 
<clears throat> yeah, because they kind of backed into the money penny scene later and got out of it, and then probably in editing realized, oh yeah, that's um, doesn't quite doesn't quite work. Mm-hmm. In hindsight, I bet Terrence Young really wished he would have shot more coverage, more <laughs> close-ups, and else? things to cut away to just in case. I think Terrence Young should have asked for another take from Connery when he hands him the picture. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because Connery mm. looks at the picture. He clearly looks at it and continues talking and then looks at it again and does this. Yeah. <laughs> but it's like, why wouldn't he have seen that the first time? Because, he looked at well, it? because it's, I kind of think it was like, oh, pretty lady. Blah, 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 blah. Wait yeah. a minute, pretty lady. I think there was a little bit of that. <laughs> and I'll, I'll do things. <clears throat> you could ha- very well hand me a picture while we're talking. And I'll look at that picture and keep talking, and then my mind won't quite calibrate to the picture until later. But he's That's, James Bond. I know you're right. He he's, should have. Should be he should be able to tell that. us how many buttons are on her blouse. Yeah, yeah right. exactly. From the first glance, exactly. Yeah, where right. where it was made. Mm-hmm. Yep. What temperature it should. How be. easy? Anyway. How easily it can be removed? <laughs> <laughs> oh, she's a front clasp type. Because, <laughs> um, yeah, but you know that's about. You know, what else do we got to have to say about this? I mean, the scene continues on into next week a little bit. Um, I just want to say that that when he says he's not too busy, yeah. <laughs> you know, his delivery of it is just yeah. so perfect. It's And then maybe that's why they kept that take or something. I don't know. But it's it's so funny. Yeah, it's great. Yeah. And his well, cause especially his there's like he's got a certain amount of boyishness still at this point, which really makes that kind of delivery good better you know like the 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 more kind of like boyish and charming he is the less creepy like as he gets older it gets yeah. a little creepier each each time i guess but uh definitely um and you know that continues with other uh you know you you measure the creepiness on each bond individually mm-hmm. but uh but i uh, you to, measure the creepiness the, on its own creep merits yeah yeah exactly and then you know this one is a good uh um, he does have a certain boyishness that makes it kind of fun and, and less creepy. Yeah. Well, if nobody else has anything, I would say that's going to wrap us up. Yeah. John, you want to take us out? Well, I mean, do you guys want to Oh, wait, what do you guys, guys, guys? Where do we find Let's you guys? Let's plug some stuff. Sorry. Well, we have a little well, uh, podcast concern uh, by the name of ABC de- uh, colon TOS. AB- no, we don't. It's called ABCDTOS. There's right. also a colon there in go. there, but... It's a silent colon. Uh, where Pete... <laughs> Those are the best kinds. Yes. <laughs> yeah, that's very true. Um, where Pete, uh, John, uh, myself, some other guy... What's his name? Uh, Tim? We don't need to... Yeah. We don't need yeah. 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 Tim Taylor. Uh, discuss every uh, episode of Star Trek, uh, the original series, in uh, alphabetical order. Yep. That's what we do. Yeah. And uh, I also do a show uh, called Star Wars Minute. Never heard of it. Uh, Minute by minute, we do one one episode for every minute of every Star Wars movie, and we're on our ninth movie, which is episode eight um, right now. And so we've done um, over a thousand of those. So. <laughs> StarWarsMinute.com. You can find them all. Oh, I love the weariness and the uh, over a thousand of them. <laughs> that was good. A slight sigh they're as both, you say that. They're both great they're shows. They're incredible. Well, yeah. Uh, we have a lot of fun over on. I, I, speaking as an fun. outsider, they're both great shows. Well, I, we appreciate so listen, that. So everybody yeah. needs to listen to both of those shows. Cause yep. And great. everybody needs to listen to this show, 007 by 7 And you can come over and visit us on Twitter at, a, at 007 by 7 podcast Also come to our Facebook page and discuss things with us over there. 
and uh, see you next week on the next episode of 007 by 7 Pew pew! Sorry, wait, God. <laughs> Wrong show. Chewing on everything. You do bang bang. <laughs>